Hello and welcome to the Rambling Runner Podcast. I'm your host, Matt Chittam, and this is the podcast for all the dedicated amateur runners out there who are working hard to get better while balancing running with the rest of their lives. And this show is presented to you by Mercury Mile. Mercury Mile is fusing fashion and function for runners of all abilities. And now is the time to get your running gear as the weather warms up. And it was still a little cool. Some days it's hot. Some days you need the sunscreen. Other days you need the windbreaker and the long pants. And I'll tell you what, I got all that stuff because I've been, you know, I've been on the boat for Mercury Mile for a long, long time. These guys are absolutely tremendous. They have the best gear sent to you. Boxes of four to six items curated for your sizes and preferences. And you can just go to mercurymile.com. Enter those, and they'll send you out that box. And if you use code RAMBLINGRUNNER10 at checkout, you'll save 10 bucks. So there you go. And the best part is you just you keep what you love. You send back what you don't. So besides the convenience of having it sent right to your home, if you don't like it, just send it back, man. They have a little packet. You throw it right in, seal it up, put it back in the mailbox, and you're good to go. Speaking of good to go, here's the podcast with James McCurdy, where we are going to recap the Boston Marathon that happened this past Monday. So this recap is going to be focused on basically the takeaways that us normal, average, everyday runners, I don't mean average like you're not an exceptional person, I just mean the people, the everyday runners that listen to this show, what we can take away from the Boston Marathon this year in a lot of ways. And I wanted to do this episode because... 50 weeks from now, you'll be gearing up for the next Boston Marathon, and you might forget the lessons that we all learned from the Boston Marathon this time around. So I wanted to put a stake in the ground and say, okay, on this day, this is what we learned, and we're not going to make these mistakes again, or we're just going to continue to capitalize on the positives. So I was so excited to have James on the show to talk about all of those things. I'm going to do another recap next week with a special guest who will be a first-time guest. I'm not going to spoil it now, but we're going to dive into the elites. We're going to talk about the elites uh, of the race. We're going to talk about what this means for the future, the next year, year and a half. Um, A lot of things going on in the elite world. Usually that's not a topic that we touch on, but with 2020 Olympic trial qualifiers coming up very, very soon, you know, we're less than a year away. It's kind of top of mind for a lot of people who follow this sport, and I'm really excited to dive into that topic. That's not going to be today. That will be next week, but today is with James, and we're going to talk about all those things that we learned from the Boston Marathon. Hey, guys. One quick thing before we get into it. James and I use some adult language in this episode, so if you're listening to this in front of the kiddos, you might want to switch to a different show or some music in the meantime and maybe get back to this later. Again, just want to give you a heads up because I know some of you like to listen to this in the car or in the house or wherever. Hello, James, and welcome back. The most consistent guest of the Rambling Runner <laughs> podcast. Oh, Lordy. Oh, Lordy. I, I hope people aren't getting sick and tired of me rambling on. Well, I guess this is the Ramblin' Runner, so that's what they expect, right? There you go. I, and you, you are a rambler, so you're, you're right at home. Here I am. This, here in this long-form podcast, that's for sure. Um, <laughs> so we are, we're a couple days removed from the Boston Marathon. Um, obviously, things worked out very well for a lot of people. The weather was really nice, comparatively speaking. 
But I'll tell you, man, this was one of those weeks where I wanted to do this episode as like a stake in the ground for what this marathon requires of people, both from a training preparation and mental standpoint, because I feel like we always lose sight of the things that we learned unless we are able to document it. Because I think what's going to happen, you know, 51 weeks from today is that people will forget just the craziness of the preparation the week before this marathon happened. Yeah. 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 There was, and there was a lot, like I read an article uh, this morning on runners world, the top 10 takeaways of, of, of Boston. And number 10 was like, Oh, it was a beautiful day. And, and in my mind, I said, bullshit. It was not a beautiful day. It was a nightmare. For, I mean, ask those people that ended up in the med tent that got sent to the hospital, the elite men that dropped out. It was hard out there and that's evident i think as we discussed this morning of uh everyone's times uh regardless of ability how slow they were comparative to their time getting into the race right because i think at first glance you take a look at what the weather was like today yeah just from a being outside standpoint it was very nice and especially compared to last year, it, it was inarguably better weather just from a being outside perspective. It, it, it's just different. Right. I don't know right, if you would right. say better or not because it presented its own challenges. Mm-hmm. You know, they, exactly. were ush- they were ushered into a gymnasium because of thunder and lightning. So what? Yeah, I don't know, you know. Um, so let's, was- let's go back a week, a week before the race. So okay. I think everyone starts looking at the weather. If you're from New England, you know that there's a fool's errand checking the week before. But, oh, but, but you spend so much mental energy preparing for this race, it's hard to abstain, especially when the, the, the forecasts are out there and are yeah. accessible. But it looked like even three to five days before the race, it looked remarkably similar to the forecasts from the previous year, except for the temperature. Look, it was going to be a little warmer, but the wind was going to be there and the rain was going to be there. And even the BAA sent out an email or a text uh, or uh, a Twitter saying, just in case the weather looks like it's going to be just like last year, about four days out, they sent that. And that caused an entire shitstorm for so many people. Um, because that's what the weather, it looked like it was going to be 37 to 45 degrees, raining, uh, wind direction. We didn't know where it was going to be. So four days out, that's what we're looking at. That's exactly right. And about 36 hours out, according to what I was looking at, that's when it started to solidify into what it actually became in terms of yep. the morning of early in the morning, there was definitely going to be rain and it was going to be stormy. Yeah. But that it was going to clear, and then the only variance became how sunny and warm was it going to be. Yeah, yeah. If if it were going to be sunny at all, and even up until the night before, it, it still looked like it was going to be overcast the entire day. Right, right. And then you have this situation where people are flying in from literally everywhere. And they're, they're trying to pack everything and buy stuff. And I think if, you know, you're, you definitely have the ability to wear what you need to wear. You know, you're not in the middle of nowhere. You can buy yeah. something if you need to. Yeah. Um, yeah. And obviously, you know, the Boston Marathon is one of those events where, you know, if you're participating, uh, usually you have the means to buy something spur of the moment. It's just, yeah. how, it's just how that community rolls. And so there, you know, clothing should not have been an issue for most people in yep. terms of the day of. But I'll tell you one thing that was really interesting is that when I look back at just the last five years, and you can certainly take a deeper dive than that, 
but it really speaks to you have to it's almost like you have to be like a boy scout approach to this in terms yeah. of you have to have your training planned for every potential eventuality yes 100 percent. uh even sunscreen even sunscreen yes you know yes. Uh, there were a lot of pictures of, of people with uh, severe sunburn um especially as the day went on those four four and a half five hour runners who got more of the sun man they were hurting they were hurting yeah because the, the the see the last crew went out around eleven fifteen. Yep. which would have been sunny for them the whole trip. Yep. Sunny and then a shower and then sunny and then a shower uh, back and forth. Yeah. No, absolutely. And when you think about now in terms of, uh, you know, your, see, you've read, you've read the, the runner's world top 10 takeaways. So it's kind of what we're doing right now. It's yeah. Like just takeaways in terms of, in terms, especially let's look at preparation for okay. the yep. week, the week of the week before, what are some things that, we want to keep in mind for next year and some things that we will do like the, the not to do list, like the to do list and the not to do list. You know, I think, uh, one of the things that we're going to focus on because we, we saw some great success. We also had uh, a few flubs, uh, as well uh, for reasons beyond any athlete's control. And I think the vast majority of the participants can say that. Uh, but I think what we're going to focus on is the idea of having different race plans in, in check uh, and, and not being so, this is what we're going to do because we're anticipating this. Uh, for example, my personal coaching style, I wrote up my athlete's race plans about seven to 10 days out with the intention of really good weather. And then I was going to make adjustments. Uh, but I think that was a mistake. And I think that was a mistake because I think I could have presented it in a different way. I could have held off on presenting a race plan until we knew much sooner. Uh, but I think what I would rather do is present three different options, perfect weather, really hot weather, really cold weather race plans. And that might be going a little bit above and beyond what's necessary. But I think what we found in the last five years in Boston is that you just don't know. And I'd rather have an athlete feel a little bit more confident in the idea of, if this, then that approach. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense, especially for the athletes that spend a lot of time doing visualization work and really trying to get their head wrapped around a plane. Yeah, yeah, because it's not racing. It's not like as much as we like to say, oh, I'm going out there, I'm running a race. You're not racing unless you're in a different category. The vast majority, 99.9% of athletes out there, if they're looking for performance in this race, they're looking at following an idea of structure for the event itself. Um, I was lucky enough to be on a panel with uh, uh, a few nights before with Ambie Burfoot, um, with Runner's World and Tracksmith, with Lou Serafini and, and, and a nutritionist uh, from, uh, from Runner's World as well. And Ambie uh, really had this... Um, he spoke about a lot of things, but one of the things he spoke about is just being able to adapt on the fly and being okay with it. And I think the athletes that were able to do that, that recognized it in mile three and mile six, they probably were thinking about being adaptable the week ahead or two weeks ahead. It wasn't something that was foreign to them. It was something that they were prepared to be able to do. 
Right. And the, the issues that, pre- that presented themselves in today's, or not today's, but in the, in the Boston Marathon a couple of days ago was, you know, with the abnormally high heat, especially compared to what people expected. I feel like that sort of issue is unique, especially for people who are coming from colder temperatures than something you would, you know, if, if this race were held end of May, and had the exact same weather that we just had. Yeah, I feel like you would have had a very different result because you have a yeah. lot of people who would have, on some level, acclimatized to that higher heat, as opposed to, you know, the four thirty, five o'clock a.m. runner who trains before work and you know lives in, you know, the northern half yeah. of the United States, who they're used to, you know, being around thirty-five degree real feel, and all of a sudden it's almost double that on race yep. day, and they just haven't got to the point where their body's used to it. Yeah. And, and sometimes, so it was, it was weird. Like that's a really good point because being adaptable uh, to that temperature matters when you can train matters uh, because not, I mean, I don't know of too many people out there that has the choice of being able to work out at 10 o'clock in the morning or one o'clock in the afternoon with the idea of trying to um, get used to what a warm temperature might feel. Uh, most people are forced to go early in the morning because of families. Most people are forced to make those decisions because of their work schedule and their family schedule. Um, but one of the things that we, we saw was some of our athletes in upstate New York did incredibly well versus some of our athletes in the, some of the Southern states who were training in the heat and humidity. And there's just no rhyme or reason as to why. The training wasn't too dissimilar. I think there, there was some advantage to being forced on a treadmill for a lot of the training. Mm. Uh, right, because that's inherently warmer. Always, yeah, always. Um, but even still, I think sometimes there's just a physical reaction that you cannot control. And we want to say, oh, what could I have done differently? And, 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 and should I have done this better? Or maybe I could do this differently in training. But the reality is sometimes your body just has a physical reaction to the warm and humid weather or to the really cold and freezing weather. And there's nothing you can do about it. You know, there was a, there was a, a, a case uh, last year uh, where one of the elite runners got hypothermic in mile 10. Right, which is wild because that's like basically only one hour into the race for them. Exactly, not even. Yeah, because that—that's that, that. That really is amazing when you consider how much body heat they're generating at that speed, yeah. and they're only doing, and they're only been on the course for roughly yeah. an hour. Yeah, um, it is interesting. I, I've also heard, and I don't know how much of it is based in science, but the idea that a lot of those elite runners also have much lower body fat percentages, so they're they're. Their wiggle room regarding hypothermia might not they might not have as much for as, yeah. as compared to compared to, to the general population. Again, I yeah. can't stipulate as to how true that is. But you also I've also seen the the idea of for a lot of those runners where they might not have been running their ideal race pace because of the conditions. So maybe yeah. they weren't generating the the kind of heat they normally would on race. Yeah. Day. Yeah. And how much muscle mass, like, but again, so you would think that a heavier runner might, uh, might have an adverse reaction to the really, really hot weather, but look at Patrick Cutter. Look what he was able to do. He ran two thirty five, Yeah. On Monday. So again, there's no training in Rochester, training in Rochester. Yeah. You know, uh, and he spent a lot of his time on the road outside in the cold. He didn't do too many. Tra- he did treadmill runs, but not all of them. 
Um, so I think, I think some people are just adverse to, towards some weather and, and some people that aren't, you're just hoping that you aren't on that day. Yeah. So I think part of that, just be having that self-awareness of understanding how your body might react to something. So I'm very pale and freckled. <laughs> I basically, if you haven't seen me, I basically am like Conan O'Brien's mini me. If you ever <laughs> meet me in person. So, so hot conditions is not where I'm going to thrive. Yeah. And I, and I know this. Yeah. So if, and this is, this is not just for me, actually I was reading, I, I am reading, um, Meb Kofleski's book and he talks about it very early on that he was training for a marathon and what he did was he knew it was going to be hot so for his easy days he ran at lunch lunch yep yep um not you know he, he didn't want to he didn't want his workouts to be compromised by the crazy weather but he wanted to acclimatize so he had his easy runs run midday as kind of a, a way to try to thread the needle between the two um so for me i know that would be something that i would need to look into which is so interesting because two years ago or say last year it was freezing cold during the marathon and this is, goes back to our point earlier of you almost have to prepare for all potential eventualities on some level yeah you have to you have to uh understand what it physically feels like in my mind to take nutrition in adverse conditions uh to to feel what it feels like to be incredibly cold to feel what it feels like to be uh, a little uh, uh off timed you know uh when, when if races don't go off at the same at the right time or if you're you're thinking one thing and, and something happens there's a delay you have to plan for those eventualities and it doesn't all, it's not always feasible in, in the every man, the every person's schedule, but you, you, you do have to try to think about those concepts. Yeah, absolutely. And I think this goes to another thing I wanted to talk about is just having, is how people frame the Boston Marathon in terms of their expectations for that race and for themselves. And I think there's, this, this, this goes on a spectrum, but kind of like two ends of the spectrum being the Boston Marathon as a celebration of what someone's been able to do in the running world versus this is my A race, my goal race. Yeah. And I have a lot of expectations for this day of what I want to accomplish and where you place yourself within that spectrum. Yeah. Like, okay. So we have, we all, most people run in Boston you know, most, they have a time goal, right? They want to accomplish X, if not run their personal best, come really close. Uh, but in a day like Monday, sometimes that goes out the window and it goes out the window just as much as it went out the window last year. But I think last year we were a little bit more prepared for the time goal to be changed. This year, I think everybody was a little bit surprised with what the weather turned into. Uh, but that being said, I think, I think a lot of athletes can find success just looking down at their bib number. And I, I said this on Instagram the other day, you know, if people are up, upset about their time, well, look down at your bib number. And if you beat 5,000 people based off of your bib number, that means you beat 5,000 people who were going into this ranked ahead of you. That's really significant. Right. Now tell the people, like, like you, I remember, you know, responding to your Instagram yeah. post and we were talking about it. Tell people how the numbers are assigned for Boston. Yeah, so take out the elites. They're in a different category. Take out the charity runners. They're in a different category. But 
the vast majority of Boston is ranked by time. Male or female, it doesn't matter. Your time is your ranking. Uh, so the very best runner might be bib 150 uh, on the uh, wave one corral one. And the very slowest athlete, non-charity, could be rank, uh, bib, bib 27,000. Whatever that last number bib is, that's not a charity bib, right? Uh, and that is your rank based off of your qualifying time to get into the race, whether it was a year ago or a year and a half ago, whatever it might be, that's your, that's your rank. Um, and you can update that over time uh, until they release those bids. But when those bid, once those bids are released, that is your ranking. And say, for example, your bib 12,500, that means you should finish round 12,500th place. But if you finish 7,000, well, even in really bad weather, that means you adapted incredibly well to the conditions of the day. Even if you were five minutes slower than, than what your seed time was uh, or five minutes off of what, you, what it is you wanted to run, you still beat 4,500 people or whatever that number might be. Right? So we had one athlete beat their bib by only 100. We also had one athlete beat their bib by 13,000. And we had a few athletes that didn't beat their bib at all. So we can find success inside of that relative to the entirety of the field. How did you do comparative to the people around you, the people that have proven to be of likability? Right. And that can be an apples to apples comparison for Boston Marathon. Absolutely. Because they're all coming into this, again, taking out the charity runners, which, hey, all, all respect to you for sure. I'm not, this isn't, this isn't me dinging a charity runner, but oh, I'm just no, making the apples to apples comparisons is that these are all very qualified runners. Yes. So they all have reached their minimum standard is very, very high. So you can make apples to apples comparisons here and it can be very useful. You know, it's almost like you almost wish there was a bib for the front and the back. You can see like, Hey, I'm getting into a new group. You right. know? <laughs> yeah. As you're coming yeah. up. As I mean, opposed just, to like turning back to see, wait, what number did I just pass? What an amazing, uh, what an amazing idea, right? You're, you're, you're bib 20,000 and all of a sudden you're seeing guys or, or and men and women with 9,000 in front of you. It's like, whoa, that would be unreal. I mean, talk about a boost of confidence. You probably run so much faster just because of it. Or you might freak out because what am I doing up here type of thing. Yeah, no, I'll tell you what I would have done. I would have, I'm the, I'm the guy who got the A in the first test of the year back in school and then immediately try to do the math on what I would need the rest of the way just to get a B plus. So I would get up there and I'd be like, all right, time to cruise. <laughs> I would, like, I would like stop working hard altogether. Yeah. Yeah. I love it. Um, yeah. Shoot. I had one of my runners ran and he had the exact same situation. So his, his PR name is go- Ariel. Yes. Ariel Velasco. Yeah. He went, he went into the race with a four Oh five PR. Yeah. And you know, he ended up running a 403, even with, you know, a, an early mile that was about a minute and a half slower than originally anticipated just because yeah. he had to take a quick little, little me time break. But, you know, he almost broke four hours. But, you know, again, he finished 10,000th place and his there bib we go. was 26,000. There we go. And it was like, holy cow. And this, and this guy ran an 811 last mile. Yeah, which was so, like, which was insane. It just shows you the toughness that he had, and he can only view this race, you know, as as a, as a huge success. Even though he went into it hoping to break four hours. And and what? So 
I think what, what we see right there is if you came anywhere near your actual personal best time to get into this race, if you came in anywhere near it uh, in that range of athlete, then you were more than likely going to destroy your bib number, your ranking, because so many athletes either made the decision to run a little bit easier because of the conditions or made uh, a decision that they were going to run a little faster and then they felt the effects of it and blew up, right? So that, that, exactly right. that 403 finish is so close to his actual best that he was going to blow his bid number away, which is really cool. That's really exciting. Right. It's funny. So I, I'm trying to think about how to frame this conversation. I, I reflected on a recent episode I did with Eric Tozer who did the world marathon challenge, which was seven marathons in seven days on seven continents. And, you know, and he did it with, while being a type one diabetic, right. Just an unbelievable wow. athlete. Yeah. Yeah. But it's funny. I was thinking about that. I'm like, all right, how he prepped from a weather perspective, not in terms of mileage, but just simply from a weather perspective is probably how you have to prep for Boston because yeah. he literally was running in Antarctica and then a day later was running in, in South Africa and then was running in South America and then Australia. And it's so different than say running CIM yeah, where you can go into it with, with just these expectations, which also means that when you see drastic weather changes in your forecast, I think you have to view it as a, I get to instead of an, I have to like, yeah. Hey, look, I get to train for Boston today because this weather is nuts. And I have to assume that the weather is going to be nuts and whether no matter which direction you're going in versus cold or hot or windy or rainy or snowy or whatever. Yep. Yep. And it's again, when, it, when things are that extreme, you have to throw away some expectations and mm -hmm. manage getting through when it's, when it's not as extreme, but still adverse, you can adapt to that. You know, you don't, you can't control what, you know, a 50 mile an hour headwind is going to do to you or what sub-zero temperatures are going to do to you or what a hundred degrees is going to do to you. There's no way of telling what, how your body's going to respond. But even in, in, in Monday's results, it wasn't so adverse that so extreme that people couldn't find success, but the success was found for those who adapted on the fly straight away, recognizing what the weather was turning into. Right. It, to compare it to last year, last year was like death by tornado. And Monday was more like death by paper cut. Because yeah. it was like just these little, little things that add up to a lot. Like if that yep. was a 5k run on yeah. Monday, yeah. you would have been like, this been weather is perfect. Yep. It but it's a marathon. Fine. And the other thing too here is the topography of the race course plays a part in this. Whereas oh, yeah. if the first, you know, six to seven miles were a slight uphill, it almost would be beneficial to a lot of runners because they would have to ease in. But because it's the opposite, yep. it's so easy to be like, I feel good. I'm going to try to take advantage of this. This could be one of those days that I dream about. And then all of a sudden things can change. And all hell broke loose. I mean, again, there were so many people crawling to the finish line wobbling this was not like just a little bit of adversity it's not 2015 which was challenging in and of itself it was not like last year was it which was its own animal uh and it wasn't like 2017 when it was just warm the entire way through and it wasn't like 2016 where it was warm at the start and cold at the finish 
it was its own challenge and it presented weather that was so conflicting with itself. It wasn't consistent in a, in a six hour period. No, I mean, you had people wake up that day in Boston to like a monsoon. Yeah. And for some people, they probably had like basically the runner's version of PTSD in that moment. Yeah. Yeah, sure. Um, you know, it's weird. Like Heather and I were, were standing near the, the finish area. You know, we were going to a watch party with some friends and family. And uh, we were like, man, it actually feels really good out there. But that weather in Boston was not the weather that they were having in Hopkinton. That's 26 miles away. It's completely different weather. And, and the humidity level, humidity level is completely different. We're getting the humidity taken away from us because we're by the finish area. We're, we're closer to the ocean. But the humidity level 26 miles away, the dew point 26 miles away, was vastly different because everyone by miles 7, 8, and 9 was feeling it. Then they were feeling it hard. And when the elite runners are starting to pour water on their head, you know there's going to be something, something weird happening. That's a great point. And it's funny, I'm just going to reflect on Ariel for a second. Yeah. He lives in the Houston area. Yeah. So we were talking the night before, just doing the revised race plan. And he's like, this weather is going to be exactly what I've been training in for the last six weeks. Yeah. <laughs> it's like yeah. exactly what I've been doing. Yeah. All over the place. Um, yeah. yeah. Especially with the humidity. Yeah. Because he's like, hey, this is just this is just our life down there. And, no and, big deal. And, and, and humidity in Houston is different than humidity in Florida. It's different than New, New England humidity. They feel it's just a different feel. You know, it For really sure. is. So race is over. We've yeah. recapped it. Let's talk about some of the conversations that you're having with your runners who um, you know, are now recovering yeah. from Boston. Obviously, everybody's different. But let's just think about your, your non-elite runners. Um, what are you talking to them about what they should be doing the next, the next few weeks? Well, one of the things – I sent out a message to all of my athletes um, yesterday uh, while I was on the plane. Um, and I wanted them to, to very much recognize the damage that this race did to their body um, – because it's not just running a marathon. It's running a marathon in, in some crazy conditions. So what it does to your muscles and how much recovery you might need is going to be specific to each person. But I'm not going to let any of my personal athletes run for the next 7 to 14 days. I want them to heal. I want their bodies to heal completely before they even think about it. Um, there's a lot of damage. You know, One of my athletes and coaches, Melissa, ended up in the Met tent. You know, she had a fever when she finished the race. Right. And this is Melissa Becker for Melissa people Becker. who have listened to this show before. Right. Um, and she ran, a, she ran her second fastest marathon. But it was, this is probably going to be the most damaging on her body because of how, what she physically experienced in the race. Um, and some of my athletes are feeling okay. They're not feeling that bad. Uh, and, and some are, are feeling like they're roasted uh, just because of, of – how much uh, damage one of my athletes lives in Utah and he does a lot of uh, downhill marathons. And he said, I feel worse than when I run downhill marathons. That's what the humidity did to your muscles. Everything is just working that, that much harder. So let's really respect that recovery. So main thing is eat, hydrate and eat. 
<laughs> uh, I really want to make sure they're eating enough food to re- refuel themselves uh, and, and, of course, hydrate themselves and, and sleep uh, and allow their bodies to absorb not just the race itself, but the training it took to get there. Um, I had one athlete uh, who took about five hours to finish. It was the plan to do that. Uh, she walk ran the entire thing. Uh, she's probably feeling better than some of my athletes that raced it hard in three hours. Right. And we've talked a lot about this. You and I have, as well as Christy Eshwanden, who came on here to talk about recovery, just about the idea of taking time away is not going to hurt you in the long term as long as you start, you know, running again the way you had in the past in terms of the training. Like once it's in your muscles, it's not going away. No. So don't feel the need to, I'm wasting this or I didn't reach my goal. I need to get back on the horse. Like this is exactly what you don't want to do. Yeah. Do not chase after the, the fitness. Do not chase after the next race. Unless that was already in the plan of attack in your training, unless that was already what you were going to do and you truly aren't feeling that bad, if that was going to be the mission anyway. But the worst thing I think people can do is be reactive to, an, to a bad result or even a really good result. Right. Even a really good result. Julie Rembold uh, ran an, a phenomenal race. Karen Howe ran a phenomenal race. But now is the time to 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 not chase, to really take the same concept of recovery and absorption and relax because that fitness will return. You know, you're not going to come back uh, and, and run your best straight away. Anyway, you have to, you know, Coach Esther actually gave me this this great analogy. You have to think of yourself as a as a wave in the ocean. And your, your, your peak fitness is at the very top of the wave. And once you do that workout or do that race, that wave comes crashing down and your fitness is destroyed. It doesn't good or bad work result. Your fitness is, is destroyed. You have to give yourself some time to build that wave back up again. Yeah. Commensurate with your effort. Yeah. Right. I mean, yep. it's like your, your recovery needs to be commensurate with your effort, which is yep. why you don't have to recover from an easy run. Exactly. Mo- well, hopefully. <laughs> hopefully. Right. That's a whole different show. Yeah. Right. yeah, exactly. Yeah. And just, just to talk about Julie Rumble real quick, she was on the show in January because yeah. she has such a wonderful 2018. And we were talking about her future for 2019. She's a mother of five. Her family has gone through just some crazy, crazy things in the last two years. And we talked about this woman is just scratching the surface. And boy, did she knock it out of the park with a 251. She did. Now, uh, she wasn't vocal about it. She wasn't uh, discussing with anybody but her close friends and certainly me and her family. But she had strep throat leading into Boston the final three weeks before. And I actually wrote about it on Instagram this morning. Um, and it really took away from her training. It, the, where, where most of our athletes, most people, that is probably considered the most vital part of Boston Marathon training is the last three weeks of the, those long runs, those last major workouts. She couldn't do most of it because of her sicknesses. Um, and anything she did feel good for, we had to come back quite a bit. And she was like, how much is this going to affect me? What, what could we have done differently? Uh, what, you know, what should I expect? And the only thing that we really could have done is forget what could have been and focus on the reality of what you actually experienced. It doesn't matter what could have been, 
because it didn't happen. The reality is that you had strep throat for about three weeks and you need to be on antibiotics. So all we can do right now is focus on getting as healthy as possible. And it was a, a completely modified training concept, but she was able to come away with a 10 minute personal best. And she made some mistakes in the run and she will, well, she will own up to it. She went out a little quick in the middle of the race. She, she could have made different choices to run a little bit faster. I think uh, she even stopped to walk a little bit in the race, but she still managed to come away with a 10 minute personal best. Um, and I'm incredibly proud of her. And she finished 77th overall. And man, it was what an amazing accomplishment for her. Yeah, really, it really is. And I know that episode, I want to bring that up again in January with Julie, it touched a lot of people. It's in a very emotional episode because of yeah. family stuff that isn't running related. Yeah. I just want to highlight that one because it uh, obviously she's blessed genetically, right? She has certain genetic gifts. Not sure. everybody has. That's just part and parcel with this. But she works incredibly hard and she has a lot of stuff going on. And she is a very inspirational and motivational figure. I know for me personally. She just started running. Yeah, her which first, is insane. Her first marathon was January uh, 2017 with a 347. You know, she just started. She didn't run in high school. She didn't run in college. She had five kids and then started running. Yeah, you know, yeah. We 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 can certainly she's got some genetic blessings, uh, but how many people out there might be listening right now who are, could be in a similar situation as she, but don't know that they have the same blessings or can fight through whatever it is they're dealing with and still accomplish whatever it is they want to, they want to accomplish. Yeah. And on a much smaller scale, it also shows that taking an extra week of recovery isn't going to mean a darn thing. Oh, <laughs> let me tell you this. Certain people who spent 10 years not running, never mind. 10 right. Days. She was fighting me tooth and nail after Chicago. Is this going to be enough? Like I'm not running enough. I'm not, everybody else is running hard. I'm not running hard. How come it was like two months because she's so new to the sport, right? It was two months of just relax. The training will come together. We don't need to be ready right now. And even in December, it's like, when are we really going to start hammering? I was like, just relax. It'll get there. Training will build. And it does. You just have to be patient. Well, I really didn't want to be risky uh, with her because, I, because she's so new to the sport. I wanted to make sure we, we took our time because going from 347 to 251 in two years, you want to make sure that it's appropriate. Uh, yeah, yeah, <laughs> that's for sure. I mean, you're basically cutting 40 seconds per week Yeah, right. <laughs> on your overall marathon time. Oh, James, thank you so much for coming on this show. I'm going to make you. sure that 50 weeks from now, I re uh, not that I re-release it, but that I highlight this because I think that the things that we talk about today, um, are easy to forget, you know, when you're in preparation for a race or as things are, are coming together and, and oftentimes, you know, you feel bad for the people who, you know, unfortunately, you know, the race day doesn't go the way they planned, not sure. because of external factors, but because of things that they could have changed. And yeah. again, they might not have reached their, their goal pace, but there were changeable things yep. that they weren't able to take advantage of. And then you look back and say, not what if could I have reached my goal, but man, if I had just changed this one little approach, it could have made a big difference. Yeah. Yeah. And I think... I personally had a really bad experience with a bad weather marathon uh, last year, uh, almost a year ago, and my, my body failed me. And that experience has helped me 
guide some of our athletes who have reached out who have experienced a bad or who had a bad experience at Boston. I personally know what it, what it means to, to, to fail so miserably and come in 30 minutes slower. Um, so yeah, you know, hindsight is always 2020, but sometimes we forget what hindsight was a year later. Right. And there's no reason to, you know, you don't need to learn from your own mistakes. If you can learn from other people's yeah, as well. Yeah. yeah. So, all, all right, right, my man, I'll talk to you later. Thanks for coming yeah. on. Yeah. Thank you for having me. We'll talk soon. Thanks again, James, for coming on the show. I love talking running with James. I don't record all of our conversations, but I do record most of them. So I think you really get a sense not only of his level of expertise, but our relationship. We have a great coach uh, runner relationship. And at this point, he's just one of my good friends. So I really enjoy talking to him about all of these topics. Thank you to Mercury Mile. Thank you to Megaton Coffee for continuing to sponsor the Rambling Runner podcast. If you like this show, the best thing that you can do is to check out Mercury Mile and Megaton Coffee. Let them know that they're sponsoring the right show and they have high quality stuff, man. If I'm drinking coffee at home, it's Megaton Coffee. If I'm going out for a run, I'm wearing Mercury stuff I got from Mercury Mile. End of story. So go check them out. Also, thank you to you, the listener, for sharing, rating, reviewing, and commenting on the show. I can't tell you how much I appreciate it. I really and truly do. Thank you from the bottom of my heart, and happy running.